enemy has as his goal twofold. One is to keep people out of the kingdom. He doesn't want you to come to know God in the first place. But if he can't stop that, if he can't keep you from getting in the kingdom, then he has a secondary goal. And that's to keep the kingdom out of you. It seems almost that he doesn't mind, if you will, if you get into heaven, as long as you don't experience heaven on earth. Because then, how valuable are you to the kingdom of God? <laughs> Look at those slug Christians over there, you know. Look at the sour face. and Hey, you want to be one of us? And I think that's his goal. And he does it, my friends, with the lie. And so we concentrate here at Quail Ridge Church on, on teaching the truth that will refute the lies. And so, that as Jesus said, we will come to know the truth and the truth will make us what? Free. And of course, the exact opposite of that is if you believe a lie, you're going to be bound. This morning, however, is going to be a little different. Not because we're going to veer from our stated goals, which is teaching. We're still going to be teaching this morning. But the teaching itself is going to be very, very confrontive. Put simply, today is going to be pretty much an in-your-face kind of day. Not mean, by any means, but very direct and very firm. And I hope you know here that what we just did right now in the last three minutes is break every rule of homiletics. Because you never tell your people, they would tell you in seminary, brace yourselves. <laughs> because we get braced enough out in the world. Right, And so they would say, just sort of tell the funny stories and, and bring them in. And while they're laughing, slip the truth down their, their throat and they won't even know they've been hit. Well, you know, I, I've never been one for rules anyway. I asked Father for an illustration. Father, help me out. How we, what, what is this all about today? Well... It's very much like a father taking an irresponsible, immature, disobedient son, sitting him down and saying, Son, I love you. And it's because of the very fact that I love you that I've got to do what I'm going to do. And what it is, son, is I'm going to warn you. And I'm going to warn you that if you don't change the way you're living, I'm going to have to put you out of the house. Now, please, hear me now, son. You'll always be my son. And I'll always be there for you. But this is serious. You can't keep going the way you're going. And I will risk the rejection to do what I'm about to do and to say what I'm about to say. That's heavy. This is the tough love of the Father. And I want to warn you of that. This is really a passage only for those kinds of people who really want to go on with Jesus. This is a passage, what we're going to look at today, is only for those who really want their lives to count. This is a passage only for those who are serious with their God. And my friends, I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm going to be real frank with you. 
Because Jesus said this, if you have been given light, you are accountable for that light. Do you know what I'm saying? Jesus was saying, if you hear a truth, if your eyes get open to it, you're now responsible to live according to the level of that truth. Because that's true, you know what I want to do this morning? I want to give you an opportunity to leave. I'm dead serious. Say, Frank, you're kidding. No, I am dead serious. If you really don't want to hear something that's serious from your father's heart and apply it and really walk in it, if you're not ready for that, please walk and walk with our blessing. Okay? Or do the next best thing. If you're embarrassed about doing that, just tune me out. Go down to Grand Isle, be fishing, do whatever else in your mind, but tune us out. Because this really is um, heavy stuff and you're going to be on the hook once you hear it. Okay? Why don't you just turn to your brothers and sisters if you're in, and just, just pray together. Just say, Father, will you open our eyes to hear what we're about to hear? And will you help us to appropriate what we're about to hear? And, and just do that amongst yourself. Let's just pray together. Father, we're still here. And we're here because we want to be here. We're here because we want to live differently than the way we live. But we can't do that in and of our own strength. So, Father, we're here just to tell you that we mean business in our walk with you. And because that's true from our hearts, you've got to open our eyes and you've got to give us ears to hear. So that we can live in and through the power of your own life within us. We want to change. We really do. But you've got to change us. But we've got a part in this too, and we're going to see that part today. And I pray you'd open our eyes to it. I really do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's open our Bibles once again back to John 15. This has been a marvelous time. I hope you've had the same wonderful, blessed time in this portion of Scripture that I've had. But now it does get very confrontive. Well, what have we seen? Well, we've seen that Jesus, verse 1, is the life source. He is the vine. He is vine Jesus. What a great new term. We hear Lord Jesus, Savior Jesus. But He is vine Jesus. (laughs) He's life. And so few Christians come to know Him as life. We know Him as Savior, the one who died for us past. But the church needs to know Him as vine Jesus. He lives right now with the desire to, to live on this planet the very same way He lived 2,000 years ago. Isn't that awesome, Bruce? He wants to love the world with the same love through you that He loved the world with 2,000 years ago. Doesn't that blow your mind? 
He wants to be kind to the world in the very same way that He was kind to the world 2,000 years ago, but He wants to do it through you, His vessel. Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Now, if you struggle with that, we are the branches. We're supposed to draw life from Him. But if you struggle with that, if you're just having trouble in the Christian life, glorious truth, verse 2. Boy, our hearts were blessed in this, weren't, wasn't it? Weren't they? I hope yours was. Not He takes away if you don't bear fruit. Cross that out if it's in your Bible. If that's the way they translated it. Because the word there, iro, literally means to lift up. It can mean take away. But we always interpret a word in this context. And there's no judgment in this context. Not yet, anyway. So it's positive. It's not He's going to take you away, but He's going to lift you up. Just like a, a guy in a, who's working in a vineyard. Man, you've got a branch on the ground, prone to the decay and the disease and the bugs down there. What's that vine dresser going to do? He's going to take that branch that's, that's growing down, he's going to lift it up, and he's going to tie it up. He's going get, to get it away from the world. And he's going to get it up in a position to receive more of the S-U-N, the Son. Well, Father's going to do the same thing for you, Robbie. You struggle in your Christian walk? Look to Him. You know what He, he promises to do for you? He promises to lift you up away from the world so you can receive more of the S-O-N, the Son, the life. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome possum. Isn't that awesome possum? Turn to your neighbor and tell him, man, that's awesome possum. That's glorious. We don't, as Christians, have to sit here and slug it out. There, God, am I doing okay now? All we got to do is look at Him and say, Father, lift me up. I can't do it. The problem is most of us have so much pride we don't get to the point where we say, Father, lift us up. We're living out of the lie that we'll be like God and we can do it ourselves. Tragedy. Well, He's going to help us bear fruit. Isn't that awesome? That's the purpose of our lives, my friends, is that you and I would bear fruit. We were made the image bearers of God. Glorious. So abide in Him. Do the only reasonable thing. Verses 4 and 5. And abide in Him. And when you do, you're going to bear fruit. But now we come to some sobering words. And they're found in verse 6. If a man abide not in me... Now what would we expect to read next? Then he won't bear fruit. Isn't that what you would expect to see? Because the whole passage is about bearing fruit. Abide, you'll bear fruit. Abide, you'll bear fruit. Some 11 times in, in these 12 verses, the word abide is found. Abide and bear fruit. Abide and bear fruit. And so we'd expect to see if you don't abide, you won't bear fruit. <laughs> That's not what he says. It's more serious than that. Far more serious. If a man abide not in me, he will be cut off as a branch. When you're cut off as a branch, the next step is you're going to wither. And when you wither and get dry... Then the next step after that is you're going to be gathered up and cast into the fire. And when you're cast into the fire, you burn. Wow. Refuse to abide and your life will count nothing. Nothing. Now we need to understand what nothing means. It doesn't mean nothing at all. It means nothing in terms of kingdom. If you don't abide in Christ and let the Zoe life of God infuse your own bios life, your earth life, then you will be producing nothing in terms of kingdom work. You may produce lots. 
You may build a great business. You may buy lots of homes and cars and, and help people across the street and, and give money away to charities. And you can do a lot of things, but you know what? The source of it is earth. And if the source of it is earth, it's not kingdom. You see, kingdom work is only be, going to be accomplished by kingdom power. And kingdom power is only going to be found by kingdom person. And so, my friends, Jesus' very serious words are abide or you will have nothing. Now, my friends, I want you to turn to the Old Testament. I want you to see a passage. It's in Ezekiel. It's one of the major, major prophets of the Old Testament. And I want you to see this for yourself. Ezekiel chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 2 through 4. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, verse 1, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any other tree? What is it about a vineyard wood? Shall the wood, verse 3, be taken of it to do any work? Will men take a pin of it to hang any vessel on it? And you remember what we saw in our study earlier. We said that vine wood is good for nothing other than growing grapes. It's a twisted wood. You can't build furniture with it. As soon as you start to, to work on it, it's, it's just going to splinter. It, it's, it's just of no good. Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel. But, look what happens when you do that. The fire devours both the ends of it and the middle of it. And the idea there is the whole thing just goes whoosh. So it's really not even good for fuel. It burns too quickly. And so he said, is it fit for any work? Now my friends, what we read there is God's commentary on man. The truth is that if you are a man or a woman on the face of this planet... Apart from God, you are good for nothing but to burn. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you're good for nothing. But clarify that by saying, apart from God. But if you're apart from God, you're good for nothing other than to burn. That's what you do with vine wood. And, and the, the thing that makes this so harsh, my friends, is this is God's word. This is God commenting on man. Now, don't get confused by this passage. Don't become angry with this passage. Don't become frustrated with this passage. And please, above all, don't be afraid of it, Christians. We hear, uh-oh, don't abide, cut off, burned, and right away we begin to fear that God's going to really hammer us here. My friends, when we came... Let's go back to John 15 for just a minute. And let me share with you what I'm, I'm talking about here. We had a harsh phrase in verse 2 of John 15, didn't we? If you don't bear fruit, I'm going to take you away. That sounded harsh. But there was a much better explanation there, wasn't there? We found a better 
Translation. Lift up. If you don't bear fruit, I'm going to lift you up. It's going to be okay. But when you and I come to verse 6, sorry, there's no other way to interpret it. There's no other, other way to translate it. it. It is harsh. It's black and white harsh. But the key to, to applying this passage is to understand that this verse comes in a context. It doesn't, it's not just an automatic hammer, Steve, bear fruit or whammo. It comes in the context of verse 1 and 2. Father is a vine dresser. Isn't that a good truth, Steve? He's going to take care of you, the branches. He took care of the Son, didn't He? Didn't He take care of the Son Himself? The vine? He protected Him from, from Herod. He, he took care of him in the wilderness. He took care of him with the temptations of the enemy. Father has proven himself able to take care of you. Verse 2, context. If you're not bearing fruit, if you're struggling, what's he going to do? He's going to lift you up. He's going to take care of you. It, it's the Matthew 7. It's, excuse me, it's the John 7. If you come to me, I won't cast you out. If you're struggling, or you're weak, or you're weary, or you're heavy laden, come to me. My burden's light. It's easy to bear. It's that kind of a context. And so what's going on here, it's, it's not, don't abide, or I'm going to cut you off, but it's the care, and it's the patience, and it's the help of God. And if you refuse, and only if you perpetually, year after year after year, refuse, to abide. But you continue in a prideful, stubborn, independent rebellion. Then and only then will God cut you off. You see, my friends, God is the power of His own precepts. We've mentioned that many times here. He never calls you to do something that He Himself does not provide the power to do it. Isn't that good news? Man, that's great news. Kathy, Submit to that guy. That's bad news. But instantly what? I provide the power to do it. That's good news. And all the women of God said, Hallelujah. Hubby, love that wife the way Jesus loves the church. Which means infinitely, unconditionally, and sacrificially. How many of you know that's bad news? But instantly, good news. I'll give the love for you to do that. Hallelujah. Every parent, patient with those kids. Don't ever stir them up to wrath. Train them up in, in God. That's bad news. But I'll provide the patience to do it. Good news. Awesome. But it's only available by faith. By abiding. Juan Ortiz gave the greatest illustration of how this all fits that I've ever heard. And it was the illustration of a car. When I get into a car, I take the key. I put the key in the car, and I turn the key. And what does the engine do? Right? 
And then what happens? The gasoline hits those plugs, the fire ignites, and then what? Vroom! Isn't that cool? Our responsibility in this is to turn the key. Father, love my bride. I can't. Not the way you want me to. So I'm going to look to you. That's the ver 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 ver. And as soon as I make the will to choose to do that, guess what happens? Vroom! And the power is there. Isn't that a great illustration? That's it. Can you imagine getting in a car today and saying, okay, vroom, without turning the key? You're going to be sitting there a long time. And that's exactly what's happened to people in the church. They're expecting the vroom without turning the key, without looking to Jesus, without abiding. And so Jesus says, do the only reasonable thing that there is, gang, four and five, abide in me. Turn the key and I'll provide the Zoe life. That's why we said last week, instant maturity is the goal of Christianity. And some of you were confused by that. I know you were because I saw your faces. Christianity is instant maturity? Some of you came up and talked to me about it afterwards. Instantaneous maturity? Yes, because here you are as a branch. And the moment the branch is attached to the vine, what flows through the branch? The life of the vine. And my friends, let me ask you a question. How mature is Jesus Christ? How? Instantaneously mature. He is not immature in any way, shape, or form. So the, at the moment of abiding, you are walking in maturity. Now, but Frank, isn't there a process? Sure there is. Think about this with me. Let's disconnect from the vine. And now this branch will memorize Bible verses. They will go to Sunday school classes. They are now a Christian for 20 years. Are they learning a lot? Yeah, you better believe they are. Are they maturing? Yes. But it is maturing unto what? Itself. And through self-discipline, it gets stronger. Now, this is where that analogy of vine and branches broke down. Because a branch can't do that. Apart from the vine, what happens to the branch? Withers and dies. But apart from the vine, people get stronger in themselves through self-discipline. And may I share with you, friends, the Bible knows nothing of self-discipline as a kingdom work. Self-discipline. Discipline of myself. The Bible talks about something very different called self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit which is a power released from where? From within. It's control from the inside out, not from outside in. And so what happens is we've got Christians who are living separated under the vine, and they are maturing, but they are maturing under themselves. Self-strength. Them pulling off the Christian life, if you will. But it's plastic fruit. See? 
And I shared with you last week, this is how we can explain the zeal and the, and the awe of a new believer. Because what do they know? They know one thing, and what is it? Jesus. And so what do they have? They have joy. They have peace. They have the awe and wonder of God. And then we look at them and, and explain it away. Well, they're just new Christians. Give them some time. They'll be like the rest of us, slugs. You're just not mature yet. You'll learn that there are other things in the Christian life. There is nothing in the Christian life apart from Jesus' life. That's bottom line. And so what we end up with is the perpetual babyhood of the church. Perpetual immaturity. And it's a tragedy. The truth of the new covenant is instantaneous maturity. Available to every saint at the moment of abiding. Now here's where process does come in. How well do I abide? See, throughout our day, we're constantly doing this. And so where does process come in? Where does, quote-unquote, maturing come in? In my learning to stay put. See, for longer periods of time in my life. You see that? Instantaneous maturity available at the moment of abiding. If you don't do that, it's self-maturation and you are in a process of nothingness. Becoming strong unto yourself. Can you imagine going through your whole life and everything you accomplished is nothing? My friends, that really is the message of John chapter 3. And I want you to turn there for just a minute. We're doing all right on time. John 3. You know, whenever anybody looks at this passage, you know the account. It's the account with Nicodemus. How many of you are familiar with the passage in the account of Nicodemus? Do you know what everybody gets hung up on in chapter 3 with Nicodemus? Born again and born of water and spirit. That's what everybody talks about. But that's not the key to the passage. The key to the passage is verse 6, where Jesus explains to Nicodemus what he means by born of water and born of spirit. And what does he say in verse 6? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Are you the teacher in Israel and you don't understand that? The flesh can only produce flesh. You can take your flesh, which is simply self, that's what it means, self-life, and you can strengthen it and what do you get? Strong flesh. You can take your flesh and make it religious. What do you get? Flesh. You can take your flesh and baptize it, and what do you get? Wet flesh. See? But the only way to produce life or produce spirit is spirit. The flesh can't produce the spirit. The only way to get Zoe life is from Zoe life. Bios life can't produce Zoe. We don't like that because of our pride. Craig Tyndall sent me an email this week. Man, I just rejoiced in that. You know how you title emails? He titled his email. He's been listening to the tapes in John 15. He says, boy, this is just blessing him. And I trust you've been blessed too. I've been blessed. But you know what he titled his email? But I want to be the vine. (laughs) That's it. We as mankind don't like hearing that what I do counts squat. That was Nicodemus' problem. Give this guy a break, gang. 
We're sitting here thinking that he's talking about going into the mother's womb again. We're talking about one of the most brilliant men that ever walked the face of this planet. Let him be the brilliant man he was. He's not talking about going back in his mother's womb. He's realized what Jesus has said. And he says, you mean everything I've done counts sickle? Do you mean everything I've done counts as nothing? Because I've done a lot. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. I've done and done and done. And you mean it counts nothing? And that's why Jesus repeated himself. Yeah, that's exactly right. You've been born here, buddy, but you gotta, it's got to come from above. It's got to come from spirit. Only spirit can produce spirit. And to just drive it home, look what Jesus said in verse 8. It's just like the wind... You and I can't produce the wind. See? You and I can't make wind. All right, I know what you're thinking. We can break it, but we can't make it. Listen, we can't create wind. It's the same way with the spiritual life. You can't make it. You can only receive it. You can only experience it. A man sits there and he feels the wind on his face and he says, There's wind. And that's the way it is of the kingdom of God. You can't produce it, but you can receive it and experience it. See? And so what Jesus is doing, this is the same message. Isn't it neat how God is consistent? It's the same message. John 3 is John 15. Only in John 3, the emphasis was on conversion. I mean, I can only get spirit life from God. Whereas John 15 is talking about the conduct of those converted. You mean I can't make life? I can't create it? No. It's Colossians 2.6, one of the most simple messages of New Covenant understanding in the entire Bible and one of the most neglected in the church. Are you ready? As you have received Him, Michael. As you have received Him, Gene. And how did you all receive Him? By working it up? By what? By faith. So then, in the same manner, walk in Him. So how do you walk? By faith. Trust in Him to be God through you. Not manufacturing Godness. Because we can't do it. Don't you see? That's the message. And it's glorious. Glorious. But the problem comes in. If you as a Christian won't receive life, My friends, this is so harsh. You will lose the opportunity to receive life. John 15. Let's look at it. If you abide not in me, you will be cast forth as a branch, wither, be gathered up, put into the fire, and burned. If you won't receive life, you lose the opportunity to experience life. Now, I've got a little star there because I want you to understand something. You don't lose your life. What did Jesus say? Did he say you will be cut off as a son? Did he say that? Look at the verse. Did he say you will be cut off as my child? No. It's not what he says. He says you will be cut off as a branch. You will lose the opportunity in the kingdom to manifest the kingdom. You will lose the opportunity to receive it. 
Again, let's go back to the illustration of the car. And basically what he's saying is this. If you won't turn the key, if you won't walk by faith, he will take the key away. That's it. He won't kick you out of the car, but he'll take the key away. You are secure. Listen, parents, if you've got an irresponsible child, do you kick him out of the car? No, you take the keys away. Right? That's what Father says he's going to do with us. You are secure. You will remain a child of God. You will be in heaven. But you will lose the opportunity to manifest heaven on earth as a vessel that he uses to express his life through. In other words, there'll be no room. No vroom vroom. Look, my friends, I know this is serious. We have done this many times here, but I almost hated to put this on the overhead again, but, but this is it. We have been given a picture of it in the Old Testament, what Jesus is talking about. Israel was in the land of bondage, the land of Egypt. How did they get out of that land of Egypt? By faith in what? The blood of a sacrificed lamb. They then journeyed to the promised land, which was called the land of rest. How are they going to get into that land? The same way they got out of the land of bondage. By faith. As you have received him, faith. So walk in him, faith. Only this time it's not faith in his death, blood, but faith in his what? Life. His ability to provide for you, enabling you to move into that land. Did the Israelites believe him for that? No. They sent spies in, saw the giants, saw the fortified cities and said, we can't do it. Did you hear the key words? We can't do it. Duh. No kidding. You weren't ever supposed to trust yourself in the first place. You were to look at the giants and let them lead you to God and say, God, you got to do it. Here we go. And then walk. They didn't do that. So what happened to those people? They wandered where? In the wilderness. And they died where? In the wilderness. Never allowed to enter into the land of rest as a judgment from the hand of God. Now, were they sons and daughters of God? Yes. By virtue of their faith in the blood. Did he provide for them in the wilderness? Man, you better believe it. He gave them water. He gave them food. He gave them meat. He gave them bread. Why? Because there's kids. But because of their prideful, stubborn rebellion, they never got to experience the rest that was already theirs. See it? My friends, it's the message of Hebrews chapter 4, and I'd like you to turn over there for just a minute. And we're just going to do this really, really quickly. But I want to challenge you to read the book of Hebrews yourself. Chapters 3 through 6, and, and just experience this yourself this week. So maybe you can write that down as something that you need to do this week, is just read through Hebrews. 
and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to what Father is saying there. Let's start in Hebrews 3 and just look at verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Who's he talking to? Unbelievers? No, he's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. You've been made a partaker, Christian. That means you're secure. That means you're going to heaven. That's exciting. But instantly, what does he say? Don't harden your heart. Verse 8. I pray, verse 7, you would hear the voice of what the Holy Spirit is saying and don't harden your heart through unbelief. Unbelief how? To fail to enter into the rest of God just like the Israelites failed to do. Chapter 4, verse 1. I fear that you would come short of that rest. Just like the children of Israel who had been given the revelation of God, verse 7, verse 9, through their unbelief failed to enter into that rest. And so they wandered around the rest of chapter 4 dying in the wilderness. What a tragedy. Therefore, what a marvelous verse, Labor to enter into the rest. Man, did you hear that? Labor to enter into rest. Why does he say that? Because it's the hardest thing in the world to do to say no to yourself and trust God. You know why, Carol? Because you've been so fantastically created, you can do a lot apart from God. And you don't even need to think about Him to accomplish a lot. And it's hard work to say, Father, I can't. Because the truth is, I can. I can do so much. And it's hard to constantly be looking to Father and saying, I can't. I need you. You've got to be life to me. See? Hard work to do that. Hard work to believe. And so what does he say in Hebrews 5? Get off the milk, Christians. What's the milk? Repentance from dead works. You know what the milk is? Repent, repent, repent. Change what you're doing. Change what you're doing. That's called milk in the Christian life. Isn't that amazing? You know what else he says is milk? Chapter 6. Doctrine. Doctrine is an end in itself. Get off the doctrinal discussions. Because you know what the meat is? Jesus. Jesus. You know, my friends, I can say this because I did it. We as Christians can learn a lot and put a lot in here and think we're okay. Because we can sit here and dialogue about doctrine all the time and our lives never change. We can have a lot of gnosis, knowledge, without love, without kindness, without mercy. We can put a lot in our head without any power of God. And so he says, be careful. Because chapter 6, it's impossible, verse 4, for those who were once enlightened and tasted and been made partakers, if they fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. Now my friends, i got to tell you something. 
for years I have taught that that was talking about unbelievers in the church. And that the unbeliever is sitting in the church and he's tasting of the gifts as they're ministered. And he's tasting of the light and they reject it. And if they reject what they have received, you can't win them to salvation. But you know what? I've got to change my view. I was wrong. It's only the second time in my life, but you know, I was... <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. What's the number one rule of interpreting the Bible? Context. What's this context talking about? All the way back to chapter 3, verse 1. We read it. Have you been made a partaker? Who's he talking to? Christians. But Christian, if you're through your stubborn, prideful independence, refuse to tap into God by faith, trusting Him, and enter into the land of rest, but you in your pride continue to perform out of your own strength, and you continue to taste of God and reject Him as your life, you may lose the opportunity to receive Him as life on this planet. That's heavy. Are you born again? Yes. Will you be in heaven? Yes. But you will never experience heaven on earth. You'll never enter into the rest of God. That is a potential for you and I as Christians. As a judicial, disciplining act from the hand of God. Wow. Did you hear me correctly? Do you lose your salvation? No. But Father may remove you as a branch, as a functioning branch, and you will never enter in to it on this planet. I've done this illustration many times. Again, I hate to use the same illustrations, but I don't know what other way to say it. I ask Father about it. I take a checkbook. I put a million dollars in it in David Mooney's name. I put it in my drawer and never tell him about it. Is David a millionaire? Yes. Is he able to live like a millionaire? No. Can you imagine the tragedy? But this is what is happening in the church. Perpetual babyhood. Because in our pride, we won't humble ourselves and say, Father, I need you as my life. You see it? And Father may reach a point with you where he says, you know, I've had enough of your prideful rebellion. And you lose the opportunity for the rest of your life. Can you imagine what a tragedy that would be, David, to go for the rest of your life when this checkbook was sitting in there, ready, and you never got to tap into it? That's exactly the same context as John chapter 15. Failure may lead to forfeiture, my friends, so go deeper, deeper with Jesus. And when there's failure, you might burn. Burn? Everybody clue in. <laughs> you might, as a Christian, burn. What in the world is Jesus talking about? What do you think, Amanda? Us, as Christians, burn? Well, we're given some clues. Two clues. First of all, look at verse 6, John 15. Let's go back there. If you refuse to abide and perpetually, perpetually, perpetually just live as an independent critter and reject God as your life and refuse to humble yourself, look what he says. Verse 6. You will be cast forth as a branch, withered, and then men will gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. One clue. We went from singular to plural. That ought to alert you. Wake up. It's been man the whole time, right? If anyone, if any man refused to abide, abide in me as a personal, individual thing. All of a sudden, we shift to them. Why did Jesus do that? What would we have expected? Shouldn't it have been this? If a man does not abide, that man will be burned. That's what we would expect. 
Right? That's grammar. Good grammar. But Jesus changed it from singular to plural to shock us. To get us to say, whoa, what are you talking about? If a man not abide, they are burned. What's the reference today? I think it's right there. The fruits of his life. His labors. If your labors weren't vine-produced, then what were they produced? As man. If they are man-produced, they are worth nothing. What do you do with nothing wood? You burn it. Does that make sense? You see, works are synonymous with who we are. Did you know that? Matthew 7. You will know them by their fruits. How about this one, Ephesians 2? We are His workmanship created in Jesus Christ to do good works. The good works proved, Bruce, that you are a work of God. But if there's no good works, then they were man-produced, and therefore they will be burned. Second clue. The word burned, it is found in another portion of Scripture, the exact same word in 1 Corinthians 3.15. Let's turn there, and we'll wind this up. We'll tie it all together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is going to be real clear. And there shouldn't be any, any confusion after this. Start in verse 11. Another foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what's the foundation of our lives? Jesus. Now, if a man build upon that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, and wood, or wood, hay, and stubble, eventually, verse 13, every man's work is going to be manifest. How do we know that? The day is going to declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall test every man's work of what sort it is. Do you realize that every day of our lives we live mixed? Every day of our life is either self-produced or Christ-produced. And it happens all day long. Right? Because we don't abide perfectly. There's only one that ever abided perfectly, and who's that? Jesus. Okay? But you and I don't abide perfectly. So every day of our life is either wood, hay, and stubble, or it's what? The problem is we can't tell the difference. You know that? Because we can produce plastic fruit. We can imitate the life of God. And some of us can do it pretty good. But in the end day, there's going to be a fire. God's going to put a match to our lives, to our works. And everything that was done out of Christ is going to stand the test of the fire. But everything that was done through us, through our strength, is going to what? Burn, because they're dead works. And dead work, dead wood, is only good for one thing. To burn. And God is going to burn it. Interesting. Verse 15, if any man's work shall be burned, there it is, the same word in John 15, he shall suffer loss. I mean, you won't be rewarded for it. But what? He himself shall be saved. You see, you're not going to lose your salvation. You just went through life with a bunch of nothingness. Because your life is going to be tried by fire. So here we go. Notice the overhead. Here it is. There's only one foundation. Actually, there's two. You can either build a foundation out of your own life or out of Christ. What do we call these people right here? Unbelievers. Right? The foundation of their life is them. What are their fruits? Self. And what's going to happen to both them and their fruits? 
They're going to be burned. Sad. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're headed for a fire, and the fire ain't going to be fun, and you're going to be in there for eternity. That, that's, that's harsh. But it's harsh because you're a, re- a rebel. So would you trust Christ right now? Just say, Lord Jesus, I don't want to burn. I want life. And not just for the future, but for right now. Why live life haphazardly and unfulfilled when you can receive life from God? Duh! I want life, don't you? So receive Christ. Now, then there's people that do that. We call them Christians. But they never trust Christ for life. They're like the Israelites in the wilderness, living out of their own strength. Living out of self, what's going to happen to their works? They're going to burn. But they stay saved because the foundation is what? Jesus. Then there's people who have the foundation of Jesus. They trust Christ to live his life through them, and they're going to shine. Gold, silver, precious stone. So you see what John 15 is saying? If you, through prideful rebellion, continue to refuse to look to Jesus as vine life, but continue to manufacture your own strength, your own love, your own kindness, your own gentleness, and get prideful and all that stuff, you're going to burn. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be in heaven, but you're going to be smelling like you came from a fire sale. Okay? Make sense? Biblical example is a guy named Lot. What happened to Lot? He lived in Sodom. Man, the guy built a life there. And what happened to everything he built? It burned up. Now, what happened to Lot? He was saved. Yeah, barely. (laughs) Barely. That's what Jesus is saying. Serious stuff. Got to appropriate this. How do we appropriate it? Well, gang, walk with him. Just to see him as the source of your life, talk to him. Pop up in the morning. It starts in the morning, like we said last week. Father, without you, I can do nothing. Here we go, another great day. Father, I'm getting on the, in the car right now. i got to drive. Man, I really need you. You know, I really do. And then i got to interact with some of you, and you got to interact with me, and boy, we need each other. We need the God to do that, see? And it's just talk to him all day long. That's abiding. That's all it is. But we've got to appropriate it one more step. And here I really need you to clue in. Don't just receive his life. See this? What is it? Say it with me. Release his life. Let me tell you. We've got a phenomenon going on in New Covenant ministry. And this is what it is. Right here. This life is nothing. It's frustrating, it's unfulfilled, you're trying to generate life and you can't pull it off. And then what happens in the New Covenant is we find God as our Abba. That has happened for many of you here in this assembly, I trust. You found God as your Abba. He is no longer great thou mighty God. Oh, he's still that. But he's great thou mighty God who condescended and loves you as if you were the only one on the face of the planet. And you found his acceptance, and you found his love, and you found the peace of God. And you know what the great danger is for you? You selfishly hoard that life. I say that because I've seen it in some of your lives. It becomes almost, you become almost reclusive. I've got God. See? Now, I understand why that happens. Because for the first time in your life, you found an Abba. 
for the first time in your life, you found acceptance and intimacy and love. And it is wonderful. And I don't fault you for that. But the great danger is that you can begin to think, I've got God and I don't need anybody else. And you become reclusive with the new covenant. And it's just as bad as not receiving it. Because the, the Father that's in you wants to release His life to everybody else. So I understand why it happens that you just kind of go, oh, me and God. You know, because it's intimate and wonderful. But you can't stop there, gang. You must stay involved in the lives of other people. Because that's where you will continue to go deeper with Christ. You will short circuit and you will stunt your growth in new covenant. You'll stunt your own abiding if you don't do this. Because you know what? In case you hadn't learned this yet, we're going to end with this. Other people are hard to live with. You knew that? And so as you are involved in the lives of other people that are hard to live with, you are now forced to tap into who? Jesus. And find Him ever faithful. Father, hard words today. I I don't... I'm glad you're the one that's responsible for knowing when you're going to cut a new covenant believer off. Because we certainly wouldn't want to be in, in that position. All we know, Father, is that we don't want to be the ones that get separated from your life. So I pray that every saint here will have been challenged by your Holy Spirit to just humbly walk with you and take up their cross and say, I die that I might live. Because the life of resurrection is only found through embracing their death. Every moment of every day. You, Father, be the one that brings that renewal. We're going to turn the key and you provide the room. That's our prayer. You know, my friends, John Rustin was here this week. Are we still running? Oh, let's go ahead and keep this on there. I just want to tell you this. John Rustin was here this week. He was an elder here and he left about two years ago to go up to Illinois. And John came back because one of his students was going for their Ph.D. John and I were sitting down talking about that thing that was going to happen this Friday as that guy got tested and grilled. And the guy wrote John a letter, and this is what he said in the letter. John shared this. He says, the guy wrote to him and said, I sure hope I don't let you down after all that you poured into me. I said, John, what did you say back to him? He says, I emailed him, and this is what I said. I'm not coming down there to test you. I'm not coming down there to grill you. I'm coming down there as a friend to support you. You're not going to let me down. I accept you no matter what. And then I looked at John and I said, John Rustin, what would you have done to that guy ten years ago? He said, I'd probably emailed him back and said, you better not let me down. I poured too much into you. I can't tell you how much that ministered to me. That man, John, ministered to me right there. Because you know what? Life came from Father through this piece of clay to a man named John. And you know what he did? He passed life 
to another man. You know what that man's going to do? Incidentally, he failed. And they're going to let him try again in a few weeks. But five, ten years down the road, what's that man going to do? He's going to pass the same life and acceptance and love to another. And this world gets transformed one person at a time. I release you to go be the vessels of the life of God. Awesome. Go be the church. Oh, announcements. Ah, I'm sorry. And visitors. We need men to go over to Caraway to the next building and bring the Caraway set into here. Got some muscle. We need you to do that right now. Two. Women's Christmas party is coming up. Thursday. It's in the bulletin and there's maps out there. Tuesday. Tuesday. What else? There was one more. What? The the packets that we asked you guys to fill out for feedback, they're due today. We'll give you another few days. Please turn those in. We need your feedback. And then visitors, would you get your hand up real high so we can see you real quick? First time, right here. Great. Philip, please fill those out. A little piece of paper in there so we can invite you to a dessert. And please don't put any uh, money in our offering. Just give that back to them. We want you to be here as a guest, okay? Anything else? Bless you. Men, if you could go grab that set, that would be great.